Amen. Hey, open your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to close out this morning our series we've been having on first love and uh, bringing to a conclusion today with, with this thought here, the results are in. And I know we're coming up to an election year next year and, and um, it's gonna be, you know, have a lot of people on pins and needles and everybody's gonna be on edge and, and I get that. And hey, I'm the last person to really be overly or really at all political in the church and uh, not, not trying to get to that. But I also know like when those votes get cast, everybody gets on edge wanting to see what, what are the results, Right? And here's the thing, when it comes to something like an election, the results are actually not the results, they're just the next step in what's gonna happen, right? So let me explain. You know, everybody is getting into this season where we've got these uh, politicians out, they're gonna be debating, they're gonna be slandering each other and fighting over this and fighting over that and setting out vision for policy and, and all of these things. And then everybody's gonna go to the ballot box, they're gonna cast their vote for which politicians they think can do the best and, and, or, or do what they, they, you know, they, they prefer or set the tone or the direction for our country. And all of that's gonna happen and then they vote, well, here's the thing, the vote only enacts what the next phase is going to be because the vote doesn't actually change any policy. The vote doesn't actually um, announce or, or put into place any laws or any um, actual, actual uh, statutes or anything like that. It just puts the people into office to fulfill what they've said they're gonna fulfill and uh, begin changing over time, but it's after that. And so we have this point between the, the uh, campaigning and then the actual voting, okay, and, and then what's going to happen, we have this point in the middle where people get up on TV and they're gonna say, we've got the results. And they'll, breaking news, and here's the results. This is what's gonna happen. Well, the thing is, nothing's actually changed at that point. We've just figured out what is going to change. And so this morning, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter four and I wanna look at this in light of, of everything we've learned and everything we've studied about first love and what this means for us. We're gonna look at this to see what are the results. But I remind you, nothing's actually changed until we continue down this path of doing everything we can out of our love for the Lord our God and walking in that love, and living in that love, and serving him, and worshiping him out of that love. And so when we look at this, we're gonna see the results, but we're gonna see the results only hypothetically, and that is if we continue to follow through with what we have learned, and what we have studied, and what we have prayed over as a church. So the results are in, let's read together Ephesians chapter four, beginning in, uh, in verse 14, he says this, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up, in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body 
being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In just these few verses, we see the conclusion of yet another one of Paul's addresses and studies on what the body of Christ is and how it functions as a body and how there are these different parts to it that are to be working together, as he says, to be fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. But in this passage, we have a unique perspective on it because we see the conclusion, the result of what will happen in a church that decides to function as the body is intended to function. In other words, we get a glimpse of the future. We get a glimpse of what can be if we work together today and what the outcome before us is. I love looking at that. And I love seeing that because I'm, I'm the type of guy that kind of wants to know where are we going? I'm the type of guy that wants to have an idea of what direction we're getting in. I don't need to have all the answers, right? Like some of the answers along the way, hey, we may not know, we may not uh, have a complete picture of, but I do like to have a general sense of where we're going. Went to Honduras last summer, and uh, one of the things I kind of, listen, I didn't need to have a day-to-day agenda, but I did want to have a decent idea of where exactly we're going. By the way, it's not really on a map, so that's hard to find. And what exactly we're doing. And the hard part with that is, the answer is, it's different every time, and you don't know until you get down there. But it is nice sometimes to have an idea, maybe not of all of the specific details, but an idea of where we are heading in the big picture. We, we may not know every stop along the way. We may not know every... Uh, turn of events that's going to happen. We may not know every road that we're gonna go down, but it would be nice to know where are we heading and from a grand scheme of things, what is that going to look like? And so in this passage, we get the result given before us of what happens if a church lives and breathes and abides in what we have called first love. So I pose this question to you this morning. What happens if we, right here, we're not talking hypothetically the Church of America, the global church. Uh, we're, not, we're not talking about all of the churches in Douglas County, Paulding County. We're not talking uh, about the Ephesian church from some 2,000 years ago. The question for us is, what happens if we unify as a church in our first love? Remember, we've defined first love as that original reciprocal. That means it's coming back from what we've received, okay? We've received the love from God. We are reciprocating that or giving it back. We've defined first love as that original reciprocal love for God with all of our heart, soul and mind, this comes from the great commandment, that originates in his love for us through Christ. It defines who we are in Christ. It defines what we do in this world. It's the motivation behind all of our service, 
all of our works for him. It's what drives us and fuels us and our passion for him. It unifies us, it ignites fire within us, and it steers everything that we do as a church because it's rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and the love that God showed to us through him on the cross. That's what first love is. And if we're doing anything else, we may as well just close up shop, walk home. There ain't no purpose to it. But we're trying to get everybody awakened, ignited, on fire for a passion, for love for God. It's what should drive everything we do. When I was younger and thinking that God was gonna lead me overseas to be a missionary. It was never because I fell in love with a group of people overseas that I had never met or never seen or never interacted with. It wasn't because I, I just you know, had this great love for a specific group of people overseas. It was driven out of a love for God first because that's where it has to come from. The reality is you look around our community, our world, hey, sometimes there's not a whole lot of reason to love the people around us. Now, you shouldn't amen too loud on that one, okay? But that's the truth. Sometimes people around us, they're knuckleheads. And we don't, we don't really have a whole lot to, to, uh, it appeals to us to love some of the people in our lives. But if you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, it becomes much easier to love your neighbor as yourself and to leave this property to go out into the world, our mission field, with a love, with a heart, with a fire to see this world changed for Christ. So I ask you again, what happens if we unify as a church in our first love? First of all is this, we mature by developing deep roots that are securely grounded in Christ. We mature, right? That's where we need to be as a church is maturing in our roots, diving deep into him, into his word, into the truth, diving into that so much because here's the thing, the roots are what supplies the nourishment to the rest of the plant. And so as a body, we need to have deep roots in Jesus Christ to get the, the, the lifeblood, to get the, 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 the essence of what we need to survive and live and thrive. We're not gonna do that if we don't have deep roots in him. You know, Paul uses this example in this passage of children maturing into adults, verse 14. And he, he talks about us, listen, as a result, we're not gonna be children any longer that are tossed about, that are deceived, that are all those different things. We're not gonna be children anymore, but we're gonna grow up. And you do that by having this maturing about you. There's nothing worse than a child who grows up but doesn't grow up. It's embarrassing. It's, it's humorous in one sense, but it's shameful for a child to still be immature as they grow. And so as a church, we want to mature. Paul gives that example of 
of these children maturing to adults, and a great way to visualize that is a plant that would grow up. Years ago, when my dad started pastoring at the uh, Palm Bay Baptist Church in Palm Bay, Florida, and uh, we first got there, the church decided they wanted to give a gift to our family that would signify um, the, the planting of our family in that community, and it would signify the growing up of not just our family, but also the church and us together and community and in fellowship. And so they decided to give a, a nice oak tree to our family, and uh, I remember it to this day, and one of the ways that they, they blessed the new pastor coming in is uh, they allowed people to come pin money to the oak tree. That was kind of a uh, welcome you know, gift to the church, and so there was a little bit of money on the tree, but then the tree he took, and I remember my dad planted it in the front yard, and uh, he happened to plant it in a good spot that was getting a lot of water, and that tree really, it just took off and it began to grow really well. And by the time we moved and left that community 10 years later, it was a huge, massive tree in the front yard. You never would have thought that that was just a sapling when we moved in there. Now, the interesting thing is just maybe 25, 30 feet um, down the side of the house from that tree on the same line, he planted another tree some years later and that tree just floundered. He didn't do very well. And then further back from that, in the same line, there was three of them. The one, the, the one that was healthy was in the front, up at the front corner almost, but in line with the side. And the second one, and the third one that was in the back, but still in line with the side, all three in a line. He planted the one in the back, and you know what? That one really just about died. It was the worst of the three. Why? They probably all got the same amount of sun, it couldn't have been that much variance in the dirt between the three, but the one found something to ground its roots in and the other two did not. So as a church, we must have grounded firm roots to be a mature, grown up, seasoned church. Why? Because there's nothing more embarrassing in the kingdom than an immature church. You say, what does an immature church look like? Well, let me give you four dangers of an immature church that we see right here in this passage. As he says in verse 14, he says, as a result, we are no longer children, uh, no longer to be children. Why? Because children are tossed here and there by waves. They're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. Well, that doesn't sound like a very healthy thing for a church to be engaged in, does it? You look at those four different things and, and we get some good lessons here. The first one is the immature church is tossed by waves. You say, what does that mean? There's no waves coming out here. We're so far in from the ocean, from any type of water like that. Well, what that means is uh, a, a church that when the seasons which come in and go, like the tide coming in and out, are not gonna uproot or sway the church. It's gonna be rooted and grounded in Christ so that nothing that's happening in this world around us can sway us or move us or knock us over. Be not because we're so strong, but because Christ is so strong. And so a mature church has to be rooted so that we're not tossed around by waves, the seasons of this world that come and go. And let me tell you, the seasons in this world, they do come and go. Things are constantly changing around us. We might have a good season, we might have a bad season. 
We may have positive things happening in the world around us. We may have negative things. We might have a, a, a grim outlook on the economy. We might have a fabulous, bustling economy. But none of those things should sway and blow and toss around the, the church like tides coming in and out on the seaside. On the contrary, the church should be so deeply rooted that it can weather those seasons in the world that come and go and change. The second danger of an immature church is this, an immature church is blown around by every wind of doctrine. That's scary. Because we, as Baptists, I mean, we hold true to, to doctrine being such a core, firm part of who we are. We, we uh, almost almost too much, sometimes pride ourselves in our doctrinal statements. And we can't have false or errant doctrine that leads us astray. And you say, well, preacher, I don't, I don't know that that's the case for us. We have, uh, we have a doctrinal statement. We haven't changed it. It's not ebbing and flowing with the wind like this passage is talking about here. And there's nothing like that. But you know what? There are some dangers when it comes to doctrine in this world that, that affect churches that isn't always bad interpretation of the Bible, but it's teachings that come in that affect a church. Some of these teachings given out by uh, maybe church growth experts or uh, so-called people who want to promise things or teach. If, you, if your church does this or this program or that thing or, or, or this, this ministry, if you just do this or, or, or you just do that, then you'll grow and you'll expand and, and it'll all be good. But so many of them are not focused on God's word and their bad doctrine is bad teaching. Listen, I, I've read a lot of books. I, I've read a lot of books about church growth. Here's the reality. Some of them are actually good. They're based in God's word. They, they don't have bad, necessarily bad advice in them. Some of them are just terrible, right? But you know what one of the best church growth manuals ever written is? It's Ephesians chapter four. Because it, it gives this plan, this layout of what a, a healthy body looks like. And then it says, here's the results. The church will grow both spiritually and the implication that I think is really strong in, in verse 16 is that it's also going to reach people and the body will grow physically as well. And so I, I think one of the best church growth manuals, well, first of all, the best church growth manual is the Bible itself. But I think one of the, the best parts of, of, of it when it relates to what church growth ought to look like as healthy, spiritual, rooted church growth comes right from this passage in Ephesians chapter four. We don't need a lot of other doctrines coming from the outside, coming from the secular world, coming from, from all, uh, maybe pundits or people who are so-called experts. And I'm not saying that we don't listen to people who are wise and mature. We do listen to them. But if it's not rooted in God's word, it's not good enough. It has to be rooted in God's word. And a mature church isn't just going to blow around with whatever wind of the day is blowing and whatever direction it's going, but rather because of its roots, it will stand firm in God's word. The fourth danger of an immature church is that it's fooled by the trickery of men. 
like the previous with the wind of doctrine. These are the tricks and gimmicks that churches might use to draw big crowds while abandoning the gospel message. Oh, what a terrible thing. The trickery of men. Here's the thing, I'm not opposed to doing things to draw big crowds. In fact, you can make a very solid and biblical argument that even some of the things that Jesus did were to get the attention of people so that he could share the truth of the gospel message with them. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with, with trying to get the attention of the world to be able to share and communicate the solid truth of the gospel message. But I'll tell you what I am against. We, we're not here just to draw a big crowd for the sake of drawing a big crowd. That's not what we're about. We're not here just to grow the size of, of, of the number of people that come in on Sunday. That, that's not what we're about. What we're about is communicating with people the one hope in a dark and lost and dying world, and that hope is Jesus Christ. And if we abandon the gospel message in order to just get people to show up, what kind of trickery of men is that for us? That we have tricked people into church, but we have left them out of heaven. So we're not gonna use the trickery of men. An immature church will often do that. They'll come up with all the flashy things that they can just to try to look good on paper, look good on a video or on a social media post. But they've abandoned the gospel, life-changing, transformative message. And then the fourth danger of an immature church is that it's captivated by craftiness in deceitful scheming. These might be like the strategies for church growth that view the church more as an organization and abandon the concept, the true concept of the church, that it's the body of Christ. Craftiness in deceitful scheming. You see a lot of immature churches do all kinds of immature things and they're not rooted in the gospel-centric message of God's word. They're not rooted in Jesus Christ. But a mature church has roots that go so deep and so strong that it affects a mature, growing body that can weather seasons as they change, that aren't gonna get fooled or tricked or steered away from their purpose. Because the ultimate overarching purpose of the church is solid and stable, does not change. Because the purpose of the church is to be the body of Christ on this earth, do the work of Christ on this earth, to glorify the Father in heaven. That purpose doesn't change. Now, how we accomplish that purpose, that might change. We might move from the, the uh, uh, bus route ministry model of the 60s and the 70s to something that, that's different, but as long as the message and the purpose of the church doesn't change, we can change some of the methods. We, we can do some things a little bit different to try to reach people, and that's fine. I'm all for that. But it always and completely and totally must be centered around Jesus Christ. 
because that's a healthy church. So we grow church, first of all, by maturing. Uh, we mature by developing deep roots that are securely grounded in Christ. But then notice, secondly, we grow by expanding broad branches that bear eternal fruit. Broad branches that bear eternal fruit. So here again, Paul uses this example of a body, a, a child that grows up, but now he kind of shifts it a little bit. He's talking about the body and he says that the body needs to grow into the head. And the, the picture, the symbolism here is you've got Christ, this, this great head of the church, and the body itself needs to grow into that, okay? And so you think about a child as they grow, and um, oftentimes their, their head proportionally is, is out of proportion for an adult grown person and the size of their head in, in relation or an aspect ratio to their body. And so Christ is saying, listen, the, the head, that's Jesus Christ, he didn't need to mature anymore. He has grown, he is, Christ is perfect and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. But we as a body need to grow into him. And so as the, the body grows into Christ, you could symbolize that or visualize that if we had the, the maturing up of a child growing up as the roots digging deep on a plant, then we could also symbolize growing into the body as the other half or the other side of a tree that grows up and then begins to grow out with its great big limbs and branches and leaves and then bears fruit going out in this, this, this great big tree as it grows out. We, we visualize growing into the ministry that God has for us, growing into being the body of Christ, the church here that God has envisioned for us. We can visualize that as us spreading out our ministry arms to reach further and wider and deeper into our community to affect more change for Christ. I love in the Old Testament, there's uh, an interesting picture of a tree and um, it comes in really a, a curious spot and that's in the book of Daniel, where uh, Daniel has to deliver that bad news to Nebuchadnezzar that he was going to get cut down, right? And then uh, um, he would eventually grow back, but he was going to get completely cut down. And in the, the symbolism, the picture of that, it describes the branches of the tree that, that symbolizes Nebuchadnezzar as spreading throughout the whole earth and providing shade and shelter for the whole earth, right? And, and so that's a great picture imagery of how a, a tree works, but it also shows us the same when you think in relation to a church, how we are supposed to stretch out from this place, the gathering of the body right here. Remember, because the building, this isn't the church. You and me, we are the church. And how we are supposed to stretch out from here like these branches, stretching into the world to, to make a difference, to impact the world all around us, to provide shelter for the weak, to provide shade for the weary, to provide hope for the hopeless. That's what we are to do. We can't do that if we just huddle up and stay really close and wrap our arms around each other and just sing kumbaya to one another. No, we have to be a church that goes out and stretches out into our world around us. We stretch out not just into, into this, this 
greater community around Beulah here. We stretch at times across and around the world. We've got some planning for the next missions trip for our church. And we've got others working to, to um, get us on trips, on missions. And I was talking to one of our leaders this week um, to, to get some more of our missions back up and going as a church. And then we stretch out locally through things like the Pregnancy Resource Center and going on that walk to make a, a difference for those, those poor mothers that are in crisis situations. And I get it. I realize it. Their, their, their actions got them into those situations. But I also know that they're in crisis situations that we could come in and we can provide answers where they have questions and provide help, provide a little bit of hope. We go out and we go on mission and we go make a difference. And so we grow by expanding these broad branches that bear this eternal fruit into the world around us. This is what it means for a church to grow up in all aspects, to cause, as he says, the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is what a growing church is. The branches just spread far and wide and have this, this great impact on the world around us. That's what a, a spiritually healthy church looks like. There's in this passage three characteristics of what a, a growing church would look like. These aren't the only characteristics of what a growing church would look like, but they are three of the characteristics of a growing church. And I would argue that a church that doesn't emulate these characteristics, it may be growing, but it's not growing in the kingdom. It's growing on this earth. And there's a big difference. It's not bearing eternal growth that will last, but rather temporal, physical, earthly growth that will fade away. Because one day God's gonna judge the works, the treasures of this church and identify is this a church that made a difference for eternity, a lasting impact? And so here's some characteristics of a growing church, three of them in this passage. The first one is this, the head of a growing church is Christ. It's a non-negotiable. And I think we're all with each other on this. Is that confusing to anybody else? I mean, here, here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's Jesus Christ who leads his church. This is Christ's church. This is nobody else's church. It doesn't belong to me as the pastor and it doesn't belong to you as a member. We have ownership in the sense of the church in that we are part of the body. But listen, at the end of the day, this is Christ's church. And he alone has the authority to lead, to guide, to direct this church. He alone has the authority to set the missional purposes of this church. He alone has the authority to give the vision of the church. Christ is the head of the church and no one else. And if any imposter comes in and tries to claim to be the head of the church, you kick them out because it's Jesus and Jesus only. And a church that is growing recognizes the authority of Christ in the church. In recognizing the authority of Christ in the church, listen and listen to me closely. That means that we respect, we revere, and we fear the Lord Jesus Christ as our head and nobody else. Because it's Christ who has the authority 
in this body of believers. He's in charge and we will answer to him. We do answer to him. Christ is the head of a growing church. The second characteristic found here of a, of a, of a growing church is this. The strength of a growing church is every member working together. Every member working together. Now, this was one of the, the overarching purposes of this First Love series was to get everybody off the bench and into the game, okay? And here's the beauty about church life, all right? Y'all ready for this? There's no limit to the number of players we have in the game. Isn't that cool? Nobody's got to sit on the bench. There is no limit to the number of servants we can have in this church. That, that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, I, I guess I'm looking at a bunch of all-star athletes from high school that never had to sit on the bench ever, okay? But if you ever had to sit on the bench, you ever, listen, if you were ever like me, when I was in elementary school, I was the last one picked for the games. In fact, I can remember we'd be in PE, you get the two captains, right? And, um, and I was never the captain because nobody wanted me to be the first person on the team. And, and I can remember this, okay? I, I can remember sitting in elementary school, we're in PE class, all the group of students is lined up, the, the two biggest kids in the class, the two most popular kids in the class, they're picking the teams, right? And all I could think is I'm looking up and down the road and here's what I'm thinking. Man, I hope I'm better than at least one of these guys. <laughs> so I'm not the last one, right? I, that, that was honest, that was me. I'm just thinking to myself, I hope I'm not the last one. Now, for all of you that are out there sitting there laughing at me, okay, I went out and I accomplished a goal I told y'all I would accomplish at the beginning of the year. I ran my 5K yesterday, or at least most of it. I did. Thanks. All right, now David, I didn't bring up my, my gold medal up here on the stage, but it is back in my backpack. Um, I got first place in my age group. That's pretty good, right? I, listen, I, David Tucker only got second place in his age group. I'm just saying. All right, it's easy to get first place when you're the only one running in your age group but I finished. But here's the beauty. In all seriousness, nobody has to sit on the sidelines. In fact, we need every one of you. We don't just want every one of you to get involved. We need every one of you involved. You say, preacher, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not skilled enough. I've got a lot going on in my life. I, I, I don't... I, I'm not like everybody else. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't this, I don't that. Listen, if that's still where you're at, all right, let me give you just some hard, okay? If that's still where you're at, take your hand, reach it up, slap yourself on the back of the head, okay? It's better that you do that than God does that for you, all right? But if that's still where you're at, here's what you need to do. You need to go re, uh, read in Exodus, Moses' conversation with God, okay? Now, here's the thing. If you have a ranking of all the people in the Bible by how much they accomplished for God, okay, of all the, the well, let's say all the normal people, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna take 
Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, out of it because he is the obvious head and shoulders above everything else. There's no comparison there. But if you take all of the, the ordinary human beings in the Bible, okay, and you start ranking them, is Moses not in everybody's top five? I mean, really. And here's the guy that said, God, I'm not good enough. And he was a top five, okay? So I, I, need you to, I need you to wake up and realize this. You have a purpose in this church, period. No exceptions, no exclusions, no excuses. You have a purpose in this church. And as we read the last two weeks, remember this. If you say, well, my purpose is so menial and so small. Remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the lesser parts of the body, they're the ones that we are supposed to lift up. And they're the ones that we are supposed to uh, shine forth and, 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 and celebrate what they are doing because there is no lesser members in the body of Christ. So remember, we all have a place here. I love the wording that he uses in this passage. He says that we are fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. And he gives this, this concept of a church, when, when you look at that fitted and held together, it, it's this so closely intertwined, just perfect body together that, that works in cohesion. It works in, in this, this um, just beautiful harmony together. Here's, here's the, the, the picture, the image of this. When, when we say fitted together, okay, if you're ever putting together a puzzle and the, the more, let's, you know, maybe a more complicated puzzle, one that's got um, more than the 20 pieces of the little kid puzzle, okay? You're putting together a puzzle and sometimes you run across these pieces, if it, especially if it's a really complicated puzzle, you run across these pieces. Have you ever noticed this where you're like, man, it looks like it fits. You put them together and, and you're like, man, it just, it looks about right. It looks like it's there. But then you hold it up to the light and you see that one little sliver of light. And you're like, there's no way these pieces don't go together. And but there's one little sliver of light. And you're looking at it and you're like, it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't go in as smoothly as the rest. And then when you find where those pieces actually fit, you're like, wow, that's amazing that it could have been that close, but it wasn't just exactly right. Listen, when he talks about fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, it's eliminating even the smallest little sliver of light that would fit through two pieces held together. This is perfectly fit in every way, every shape, every form, and then held together. Let's talk about that concept, held together by what every joint supplies. You know, a church that falls apart falls apart because the members don't grab a hold of one another and hang on and love every person in the body of Christ. The reason why he could say that it's held together why what every joint supplies is this, because you've got one area of the body of Christ maybe over here that's doing a, a certain type of ministry to help and to aid this other area of the body of Christ. And then this area of the body of Christ is ministering and serving another portion. And they, by what every member supplies, they're held together like glue, keeping us in this, this big one 
happy family together. Or maybe we're just one big, happy, miserable family together. I don't know. Sometimes you smile, you see your teeth. You guys got them still? And we're supposed to be joined together. But the way that we are joined together and held together is when every member does its job. So now, let me maybe put some pressure on some of you. Some of you that are sitting on the fence. Some of you that are just kind of riding through it. Perhaps somebody has left the church or fallen away because we weren't joined together because you were sitting on the fence. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Perhaps the stress fracture in the body is because not everybody was doing their part to join it together and keep the ship going healthy and strong and stable. So it's everybody working together. I remind you, and I've said this over and over and over, I think four weeks straight now, we wanna identify everybody's gift, then passion, and then any talents you might have. But it starts with gifting. It starts with gifting because there is a place for your gift in the body of Christ. Some of them may be more difficult in, in figuring this out than others. I get that. I've run into this. And sometimes it's tough. You're like, oh, that, we're not exactly sure how that's gonna fit in, but let's work together to figure it out. And so here's, here's what we're encouraging. If you don't know your gifting, please, 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 Reach out to me. We'll get you connected with one of our leadership team. We're working through that. I think we've gotten probably eight out of 10 of, of those that have stepped forward and asked this. We've, we've made contact with you. There's still a few. You say, wait a minute, I reached out. I haven't heard. We're, we're working on it. Just be patient with us. There's only a few of us, all right? Um, but we're working on this and um, we, we want to help you figure out your gifting and then your passion, the talents that you have and get you plugged in and serving in the right spot of the body of Christ. And the, the beauty of this is, first of all, as a church, we accomplish so much more. We become a healthy, thriving, growing church. But then second is this, and this is, this is what's really special here. When everybody is working together, the stress on those that are already working now goes way down because the work becomes easier. It becomes more right and more fitting to what we're supposed to be doing. And it doesn't put this strain on certain parts of the body. It doesn't put a strain on you. If you're serving in the right spot, it just becomes a natural thing for you to do. And so the strength of a growing church is every member working together. But then, and this, please don't miss this, the fertilizer of a growing church is love. The fertilizer of a growing church is love. If we fail at everything else, church, everything else, can we please at least be a people that love each other unconditionally for the sake of Christ? Can we at least do that? And I'm not saying I don't want to fail at anything, but if we, if we fail at everything, we mess everything else up. Can we at least be a picture of what Christ said when he said, by this you will know, they will know that you are my disciples 
that you love one another. He mentions this word love twice in, in this passage as we've, we've read it. And we're supposed to speak the truth in love, okay? We're also supposed to be grown up in our love. And this has been the common overarching theme of this entire series. Because remember, we love God first with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Our love for one another pales in comparison to loving God first with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But from that love pours out a love for one another. And can we please just be a people that love and care for one another with just an overwhelming, complete, total passion? Let's love each other like that. Because a, a healthy church is one where the people love one another. I've been around church long enough that I've heard these things come from the world so many times. Oh man, people at the church, they're mean to each other. Well, they, they don't treat each other well. They abuse one another. They kick, they, they're fallen, they kick them while they're down. Let's not be like that. Let's be a church that just bubbles over with our love for each other. All the men in the room are like, man, preacher, that's not very masculine. I, I get it. You know what? But it's pretty biblical. Let's just, let's just love one another, care for one another, be concerned with one another. Just love one another. You know, here's the thing. When all of these things begin to fall in order, what happens is it's, it's from this that we begin to experience and understand spiritual growth as a church. And I maintain this, that a church that is going to grow the kingdom, that's, that's an eternal impact, the eternal kingdom, not just their own little kingdom here on this earth, but a church that is going to truly, genuinely grow the kingdom, they only do it when they are spiritually nourished and healthy. Now, I mean, here's the thing about healthy. You're never, you're never like, at, at, okay, I've arrived, I'm completely healthy. There's always something, right? And, you know, it's, but it's, a, it's an improvement, okay? It's like going out to run a 5K, okay? I, I did okay yesterday, but I'm gonna be honest, it was not a great time. And the next time, I wanna be healthier so that I can do better. The, the next time I wanna be healthier so I can do better. And then the next time, you see what I'm saying? We continue to grow healthier. Now, our bodies here on this earth, they grow unhealthier <laughs> as we get older. And, and that's just the decline of life. But our church body, we can continue to grow healthier and healthier and healthier and more honoring for Christ. When all of these things are in order, it is from Christ that the whole body, and I want you to catch this, the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of the body in love. Okay, so grammatically, let's look at this last verse and let's understand this. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are, grow, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom? So it's from Christ, or if you wanna understand this, 
It is out of Christ. That's the, the, the preposition there literally means it's, it originates from here and then moves out of. So moving out of Christ or coming, not that we're leaving Christ, but it's coming forth from Christ as the originator. From Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each part. Go back to the beginning. From whom the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself, that's the body, in love. The subject of that sentence is the body. And the action in that sentence is it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What this means is this. When the body gets serious and matures and grows and it roots itself in Christ, all of this that we've described in the message today, when the body does these things, then the body from Christ or out of Christ, it grows, it causes it to grow up for the benefit and the nourishment, and the building up of the body in love. So church, can we do that? Can we band together, unite together, as we said at the beginning of the message, unite in our first love and walk in our first love to cause the body to grow up, to cause the body to grow into Christ, to fulfill its mission, to attain the vision set before us? Can we do that? Because I think we can. And then what happens? What, what is that specifically? What is that growth that we look at? If, if we cause the growth from our roots in Christ, we cause all of this to happen and the body grows up, what, what does that look like and what does that mean? We talk about fruit, we talk about eternal fruit. Bible, when it speaks of fruit, it can refer to really a wide variety of things. We have Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. We have um, in, in John, Jesus talked about the vine and the branches and bearing much fruit. We have this concept that those who are in Christ and abide in Christ should bear fruit. We have this concept that a church should be a fruit bearing church. Jesus even passed, if you remember, the fig tree at one point and he looked and it was supposed to be the harvest time. He looked on the leaves and there's no fruit there and he cursed the tree because it didn't bear fruit. It pretended, it faked like it was going to, but it wasn't really bearing its fruit. So what is, what is fruit for a church? What does it mean for us to bear fruit? I think the greatest example of fruit that we could possibly give, the most lasting and the most eternal thing is to reach our ones, blazing on the wall back there, our ones for Jesus Christ, to reach people for Christ. That's the, the, the most lasting and impactful fruit that we can have. It glorifies God because it completes his redemptive purpose here on this earth by bringing another person and sharing the gospel with them and, and, and 
teaching them what Jesus Christ did on the cross and then seeing them open their heart of faith and trust in Christ for salvation. That, that's the, the, the best kind of fruit. And I'm not saying that's the only fruit because the church accomplishes fruit in a lot of different ways, but at the core understanding of what fruit is, it's the seeds of a plant and seeds bring new growth. And that's what it's about. It's about expanding the kingdom on this earth. We bear much fruit. Next month, we'll go back into who's your one and we'll have a, a 30 days of prayer again and pray for our ones. And I encourage you, if, if you don't have a one, you need to have a one. If you say, well, preacher, my one that I've been praying for all year, he hadn't got saved either. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm right there with you. My one, I haven't led him to Christ. I'm not, at this point, I'm not even 100% sure if he's a lost person or a saved person. It's no, he doesn't go to church. So I'm praying for my one. And you say, you can, you can re-up, you can pray for your one again, or you can grab a new one and then have two ones, right? I think I have four or five right now. And, and you pray for your ones. We'll do that next month. We'll work together as a church to reach more people for Christ and make a difference for him. We'll work together as a church to see people coming to the altar and giving their life to Christ, whether it be this altar or an altar out in this world anywhere where they bend their knee and they open their heart and they trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's why we're here. Let's go bear much fruit. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're able, would you stand with me? We prepare for our invitation. We enter into a time of reflection, a time where we Meditate on, on the word as it's been presented to us today. We seek the face of God. All of this we've, we've preached about for the last two months is just simply to get everybody's heart reignited on fire with first love so that we can, we can start this wildfire in our community, make a difference for the cause of Christ. Church, I, I believe that God has something good in front of us and he has a great vision for this church. And I wanna go out there and I wanna work hard with you to accomplish that vision. And so today, as we wrap up this entire series, let's pray that God would accomplish in us the vision that he has set before us that we could bear much fruit for his kingdom. If you're here today and God's spoken in your heart, this is an invitation time where you can uh, kneel down where you're at or come to the altar and kneel here. Our altar workers are getting in their places. They're ready to pray with you. They're ready to counsel with you. They're ready to share the gospel message with you. Whatever God's spoken to your heart today, would you listen to him? Don't hesitate even a moment. Let's go out there. Let's shake this world up for Christ. God, we thank you today for doing great things in our midst. Lord, I thank you for a year ago, we did Hoosier One for the first time and we began to make this a part of our, our, our regular church life. We, we memorialized it back there on that wall, but more importantly, we allowed you to write the names of our lost friends on our heart. 
And I thank you, God, that we can stand here today and we can say that we, we, we see um, a testimony of, uh, I think, over 30 lost souls coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And seeing all of those orange tags that represent people who, who have given their life to you. Lord, we know some of them in our church, some of them in our community, and some of them long way away, just people that you put on our heart to pray for. But we thank you that your kingdom is growing. We pray, God, that you would just burn our hearts with your fire. We pray, God, that you would light us up, give us an urgency of the gospel, wake those who are asleep. We pray, God, that you would not neglect us here, your church, but use us however, whenever, and wherever you see fit. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. If God's spoken, you listen. Don't hold back a minute. The altar's open. This is a time, this is a place to do business with God. Let's sing together. How deep the Father's love for us.